Hello, and welcome back to our podcast series, On the Top Shelf, which deals with topical issues in IFRS that impacts clients operating in the retail and consumer industry. My name is Shreya, and I'm a Senior Manager in PwC's Accounting Consulting Services. Today, we're going to be focusing on every retailer's favorite standard, IFRS 16. That is the standard that helps us account for leases. I'm joined today by Anton Hugo, a partner in PwC's assurance practice. Now, as a very special guest, Anton is the PwC Africa retail industry leader. What better person to lead us through IFRS 16 than Anton? Welcome to our podcast, Anton. Morning, Shreya. Thank you. And it's great to be here. So, Anton, I understand you have experienced a very interesting retail trend along the lines of lessees. Could you perhaps tell us what you've been seeing on the ground? Sure, sure. It's been several months since the civil unrest. However, we've been seeing retailers respond proactively, and they've made substantial strides in bringing most of their stores back online. But interestingly, we've been seeing landlords waive or unconditionally forgive their lease payment in some instances for the period that stores were unable to trade. I see, Anton. So even beyond the civil unrest, if there was, for example, a natural disaster that damaged the leased premises, the landlord could potentially provide the lessees with some type of relief, right? Exactly. And it's the IFRS 16 accounting impacts of these reliefs that come to mind, which has been quite topical for retailers. How do you account for these reliefs is the key question. I agree, Anton. And I guess it depends quite a lot on the origin of the relief, right? What causes that relief? What triggers that relief? Could you give us some examples of lessee reliefs that you've seen out there in practice? Sure, sure. But before we get into the accounting for the reliefs, we need to always consider the background facts, as they are called. Some lease contracts contain pre-existing clauses that might trigger when there's a disaster event. These clauses could result in reduced lease payments for the period when the retail store cannot trade. In other words, the payments for those months are ultimately forgiven by the landlord in an unconditional manner. But importantly, it depends on what each individual contract actually says. There may also be a concession granted that we re would reschedule payments instead of forgiving them. So don't pay me this month, but pay me double the following month. I see, Anton. So getting an understanding of how these reliefs actually arise and whether it's triggered by existing clauses in the contract is critical to inform the accounting. Exactly, Shreya. Okay, let's think about an example that illustrates this forgiveness of lease payments concept. If a lease agreement for a retail store provides for a payment holiday for the period when the store is closed as a result of a catastrophe event, referred to as a force majeure clause, there, in that case, I think the payment holiday is recognized by the lessee over the period when the store remains closed. This is because the event triggering the payment holiday that is, the store's actual closure, occurs over time as the force majeure event occurs. That's correct, Ashur. To illustrate this, where monthly lease payments are 100 Rand, the, leasee, the lessee would de-recognize 100 Rand of its lease liability during each month of the payment holiday, with the corresponding gain recognized in the income statement. Okay, so the crux is when there's an unconditional forgiveness of lease payments, they're treated as a debt forgiveness and result in a reduction in the lease liability and a corresponding gain in the income statement, almost similar to a variable lease payment type thinking. But what about when we have a deferral of lease payments? How do we treat those? Hmm. 
When it comes to the deferral of lease payments, some concessions might be in the form of the lease payments being rescheduled rather than reduced, such that in nominal terms, the consideration for the lease has not changed. A company might judge that where such a deferral is proportionate, it is not a lease modification, since there is no change in either the scope of the lease or the consideration for the lease. However, unless additional interest is, is charged for the period of the deferral at the rate used to measure the lease liability or lease asset, there will be an effect on the present value of the lease payments. Okay. In that case, I think this effect might be accounted for by adjusting the lease liability, that is for the lessees, with the recognition of a corresponding gain for that lessee at the time when the deferral is granted. 100% sure that's correct. So Anton, what about cases when management tries to get a foot in the door and enter into renegotiations with the landlord that is beyond these reliefs? That's quite a different case, I think. Um, the outcomes there could be a bit broader. Where the contractual clauses only allow the party suffering from the catastrophic event into a negotiation, any changes to the lease payments that are made after such a negotiation will likely not be treated as variable lease payments. In these cases, lessees will need to consider whether the negotiated change is the forgiveness of some of the lease payments, which might be treated as partial extinguishment by applying IPRS 9's derecognition requirements, as we just mentioned, or a proper extensive lease modification in terms of IPRA 60. So thus far, we've thought about cases where the relief from the landlord was in terms of the actual contract. Let's take a step back and think a bit about voluntary forgiveness of lease payments. Your lessor, that is your landlord, might agree to forgive some payments that become contractually due under a lease contract without actually changing the scope of the lease or other terms. Say, for example, if the lessee or the retailer in this case that's actually a tenant of the property is in financial difficulty. Now, let's think a bit more about how should a forgiveness of lease payments be accounted for by the lessee where such reductions are specifically not required by the contract or by laws or regulations. Uh -huh. In this case, sure, there we have more of a policy choice. IFRS 9 and IFRS 16 contain different guidance for the treatment of such voluntary forgiveness of lease payments. Therefore, we believe that a policy choice exists for such reductions, which I'll go through now. A lessee could consider the rent reduction to be a partial extinguishment of the lease liability if 100% of the obligation to pay the lessor, as specified in the contract, is cancelled. The forgiveness would be recognised as a gain in the income statement with a corresponding reduction in the lease liability in the period in which the reduction is contractually agreed. On the other side, a lessee could consider that the rent reduction is a lease modification because there's a change in the consideration for the lease. That is, the reduction was not part of the original terms of the lease, and it could apply paragraphs 44 to 46 of IFRS 16. And in this case, the lessee would remeasure the present value of the remaining payments required under the lease using a revised discount rate at the date of the modification, and any difference from the previous carrying value would adjust the right of use asset. Thanks for explaining that, Anton. Quite a tricky concept there. As a reminder, when it comes to policy choices, entities should choose their treatment as an accounting policy choice and apply that consistently to amendments to contracts with similar characteristics and in similar circumstances. 100% sure I agree with you. The missing piece in our conversation, however, has been when the lessee enters into significant renegotiations with the lessor and begins to change aspects like the scope 
and fixed consideration for the lease going forward. Hmm, Anton, that sounds like a modification to me. Yes, I think that's something to watch out for. Remember, the definition of a modification is a change in the scope of a lease or the consideration of the lease. Mm, yes, some examples of modifications include adding or terminating the right to use one or more underlying assets, like downsizing the leased retail store size or extending or shortening the contractual lease term. But, big picture, this is not to be confused with a lease reassessment, though. That's correct, Shreya. A reassessment is different. That is quite rule-specific within the standard. Exactly. So what the standard says is that a lessee shall reassess whether they are reasonably certain to exercise an extension option or not to exercise a termination option. However, this reassessment can only happen when an event or change in circumstances happens that is entirely within the control of the lessee. The nature of that event needs to have actually affected whether the lessee is reasonably certain to change some of its previous judgments. A common example of an event that could trigger a reassessment is a significant modification or customization of the underlying asset that was not anticipated at the lease commencement date. Sure, when you're changing the lease term through changing your judgments with regards to options for renewal and not the baseline non-cancelable contractual term, is that a reassessment? Yes, Anton, that is. That is accounted for by reflecting the revised lease payments using a revised discount rate for the remainder of the lease term. You can use the interest rate implicit in the lease if readily determined, otherwise the incremental borrowing rate at the date of the reassessment. That's more of a balance sheet journal entry. I think people tend to be confused by modifications versus reassessment with regards to changes in the lease term. Yes, this concept can be quite tricky, but in a nutshell, let's bring it back to the basic principles. A reassessment of the lease liability takes place if the cash flows change based on the original terms and conditions of the lease. For example, if the lease term changes due to judgments regarding the existing extension options within the lease agreement. On the other hand, changes that were not part of the original terms and conditions of the lease are accounted for as lease modifications. It feels like we've covered quite a bit in this session, Shreya. Yes, we've covered quite a bit. Let's maybe take a step back and recap. We've discussed how to account for reliefs for a lessee from the landlord. We've also discussed the implications for when the relief comes from the contract itself and when the relief is voluntarily granted by the landlord. And lastly, we've also touched just a bit on modifications versus reassessments in terms of IFRS 16. IFRS 16 accounting for leases can be quite complex, but I think once you have the facts at hand, it's just about being systematic in your approach. I'm going to need some relief from the standard itself soon. <laughs> Anton, maybe I'll relieve you of your time on the podcast for today by wrapping up the session now. Thanks for joining us, Anton. Thanks, Shreya, for having me. It was great joining in on the podcast, and I hope to be back in the aisle soon, looking up at the top shelf. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the South African member firm or one of its subsidiaries, affiliates, and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com forward slash structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.